Johnson, and we are a child of God. Uh, besides the gospel, that's the best news there is. The Lord has chosen us. He calls us his children, and how exciting that is. And today, that is all part of what we're looking at as we're in our second part of Claiming Your Victory series that we're looking at this month. I'm so excited to be presenting this to you as the Lord is putting it on my heart. And as we go through this, I want to ask you a question, though, this morning. How many of you, you can do a show of hands, uh, likes to watch football on TV or in person? A few of you. How many of you seen football on TV? Or let's see, maybe we can get a few more hands in. You know, I've always watched, and one thing I've noticed in any football game that I've ever seen, everyone has one thing in common. The same thing in a hockey game. The same thing in a baseball game. And the same thing that is in soccer. When you watch, there are two teams. Would you agree with that? Simple, two teams. One is the, what, offensive team, and the other one is a defensive team. Can you imagine if you paid on pay-per-view, for those of you who enjoy doing that, and you watched a football game and you turned it on and the defense showed up and there was no offense out there? Would it be a very good game? Would you say maybe you wasted your money? And we could probably put this title onto it. It would be a weak football game. Would you agree? That's why in God's word, when we're looking in Ephesians and talking about claiming the victory, that it tells us to what? Put on the whole armor of God. If we were to only put on the offensive part of our armor, it would be a weak battle. We would lose hands down. If we only put on the defensive or offensive, whichever one, if you only put on part, there's a weak link there. And today I want us to look at the attire that we wear, if we're going to claim the victory, we understand that as believers of God, the victory has already been won, amen? And we must be a part of this battle. And since the victory's already won, God has won the victory. He's telling us how to do it. He says, put on the full armor of God. So if you would this morning with me, open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. The book of Ephesians chapter 6, and as you're turning there, remember Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, to those Ephesian people, about unity and about coming together. Once you've turned to Ephesians chapter 6, if you would please stand, and we're going to begin reading together this morning, if you'll follow along in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the might of his strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in this in the darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shotted your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Also, receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the Spirit, and to this end, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, as well as as on my behalf, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Father God, we come this morning. Father, I thank you so much for your precious and holy word. Father, Lord, your victory has been won through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son. And Lord, you're handing it to us on a silver platter. Father, this morning, you're telling us steps and ways of claiming this victory that's already been won. Father, it's your victory, not ours, but we get to partake. Lord, I just pray that, Father, you would speak to us. Lord, that you would help us. Father, just as this passage says, Father, that you would give me the utterances to say this morning that I may boldly proclaim the mystery of your word. Father, we have the victory, Lord. We want the victory. Help us to walk in the victory this morning. Father God, I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. As we look this morning into God's word and we're understanding that we're looking at claiming this victory, and if the victory has already been won, then why do we have to claim it? I would say that's probably a good question because God did not call us to sit on the sidelines. And let me tell you, church, even if you're sitting on the sidelines, you're still in the battle. This is a dark, deceptive world, and Satan, the devil, is out trying to get any and everyone that he can. I truly believe that Satan thought that he was so great that he became better than God. When God kicked him out of heaven, he wanted everyone else to go with him. You know, hell was not originally made for the humans. Hell was a place that was made for Satan and those that followed him when he was kicked out. But Satan said, I want more. I want to be like God and I want those to follow me and come to my own kingdom. And that's why he's out trying to take every one of us. And as believers, we've already been snatched from that fiery period of hell, and we've been given the eternity of salvation in heaven with God, and forever we can live with him. But while we're here on earth, we're living heaven. But scripture tells us that as believers in God and with salvation, we must work out our salvation. Turn with me this morning to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 at verse 12. Paul writing said, so then my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says to work out your salvation. He does not say work for your salvation. We've talked about this before. I'm not going to spend long here. We don't earn our salvation. We never can. Thank God we can't lose it. Because he gives it to us. But we see all through scripture. We're to work this out. There are things that we are to do as believers while we're still here on earth. And that is to work to the will of God's good pleasure in us. And in this battle, he's going to tell us how to work for this. Ephesians 2 and 4, 7. Let me read this to you. It said, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We see there twice about in Christ Jesus. We're sitting with him. So what I want you to understand, what we're fixing to look at, what we're fixing to see in God's word about this armor of God basically has been said before one time is we're to put on Jesus. Amen. We're to put on Jesus. Everything we're fixing to look at, it's Jesus. God gave us Jesus. God has given us the armor, and we must daily put this armor on. Every day, we should wake up putting on Jesus Christ. How many of you got your bulletins? Wave them at me. Everybody got a bulletin? I want to make sure you got a bulletin because there's some note stuff in there. If you want one and don't have one, raise your hand. We'll get you one. All right, let's follow along with this because we're going to look at it from the idea of putting on Jesus. We've all heard, as long as you've been sitting in church, we've heard sermons on Ephesians chapter 6, amen? We've all heard sermons on the armor of God. If you're a member of this church for any length of time, you've heard a sermon on the armor of God. Y'all remember years ago when we had roaming and we took about seven weeks and we went through the armor of God. We're not going to take seven weeks to get through this. We're going to do our best to get through it today. But I want you to understand there are some special things here and that we're to live out, we're to work out our salvation, we're to put on Jesus Christ. So let's take a look there at verse 14. It begins with stay firm in this short passage. That's three times. Paul has all along been encouraging and building this up. And now Paul's coming out with more of a commander voice, thinking of this battle. And he says, stand firm. He says, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. How about the belt of truth? We've known it that way before. We've heard of the belt of truth. We all have a belt that holds up our pants. But looking at putting on Jesus, not just thinking of the belt of truth, but what is the belt of truth? This is your little blank besides the belt of truth. It is your integrity. The belt of truth is your integrity. We must live a life 
of truth. If we're going to do anything to combat the devil, the deceiver, the liar in this world, and we're going to claim our victory, we must live a life of truth. We must live a, a life of integrity. He's saying here to bind oneself up, to wrap oneself around. Maybe a term that many of us would know, some of you ladies are more familiar, hopefully, than the men are with a girdle. You put it on to hold things in place. We are to put on the girdle. We are to put on the belt of truth. We're to wrap around. This belt of truth is very important. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. Jesus is the truth. Put on truth. When you get up in the morning, you make the decision right then that you're going to put on truth. You're going to put on Jesus. I'm the truth and the way. Doesn't matter what Satan says, that there's many ways. Jesus said, I'm the truth, and that I am the way. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only way to victory. When thinking of this belt of truth, this belt, this girding yourself up, Paul would have been thinking about there were three different types of belts. There was the, the leather belt that went around that covered them from about the waist down to the knee. It's covering up the organs, the, the protective parts. This leather was covering the lower abdomen, but also the sword belt. We're going to look later at the sword but there was a belt that would have held the sword. And also there was a belt or a sash that would signify if you were an officer or a commander. But do you understand that this is the key element to the armor? This idea of truth. Because church, if we're not truth, then we're not anything. If we don't have integrity, then we're weak. This belt of truth holds everything in place. The truth of who Jesus is holds everything in place. All the other parts. Many of you might have heard of a gentleman, a scholar named J. Vernon McGee. He once told the story of an army officer. He said he told his men that they were going to win the battle and how they were to do that during the night they slept, they snuck in to the enemy camp and all they did was cut all of their belts. Each one of them went and cut a belt. Well, the next morning, time for battle to come. Guess what? The enemy jumps up and down their pants. go. They had to hold their pants the whole time and they couldn't fight. Can you imagine? You know, you, you watch... Uh, Funny TV, American funny videos. And you'll see, and people always laugh. They make videos of people losing their pants. That's a serious matter if you're constantly holding up. That's why one thing, this wasn't in my notes. Uh, one thing I don't understand with these saggy pants things, every one of them you see walking just like you. Either hold them up, put them up, let them go, one or the other. But you can't get through life. You can't be in the battle without your integrity, without the belt holding everything else together. I walked out of the house this morning, coming over this, got halfway and realized I didn't have my belt. And trust me, I went back home and I got my belt. But we must put on, first of all, the belt of truth, Paul says. That is your integrity. 
Next, we see in those verses that verse, uh, the ending of that verse 14, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That breastplate of righteousness, that part of the armor that goes over your what? Your heart, your inner man, those some would be metal chains of the best ones, but your breastplate of righteousness is the purity, your purity. You have integrity as truth. Without that, none of these others matter. But with your truth comes in your purity. Satan loves to come. Why do we need purity? Why do we need a breastplate to cover our heart? Because we are sinful man and Satan loves to attack us with lust. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye. 1 Corinthians 1.30, let me read this to you. It says, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We must put on the righteousness. We must put on Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness, our purity allows us to stand in right standing with God. God declared us righteous. We didn't make ourselves righteous. We didn't earn it. But God declared us righteous, and we put on this breastplate of righteousness that covers our heart. If you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 we see in God's word, he made him, talking about Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. Amen. Can y'all imagine that we as humans... That while we were sinners, Christ died for us and we can enter the throne room and the presence of Jesus Christ and we can stand before God and he looks at us and he has declared us righteous. We are holy and we are perfect in his eyes as if we had never sinned. Back to the original creation. We have purity. This breastplate of righteousness is our purity, our righteousness. It covers our heart. Why is it our heart? Because it is the inner man. What we do, our actions and who we are, all revive out of this heart, this inner man, not the pumping organ, but the organ that represents that. But you know we need this purity also because we can't be in the battle if our heart keeps condemning us. If we constantly feel condemnation, that's why we need the truth. We need to put on Jesus because Jesus says that he's the way and the truth. If you come to him through faith, that you're his. It also tells us, Jesus tells us in truth that we have that purity, but the truth is that we're forgiven. We don't live a life of condemnation anymore, amen? Come on, y'all want to live in condemnation? Amen. God saved us from that, and he declared us righteous, and it says that we become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. So this breastplate that we're to put on is our purity. He likes to come at us in different ways. 
Thirdly, let's take a look there back in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15. Paul writing, it said, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It didn't say shot your feet, but to shod your feet, to bind them up, to wrap them around. When you look at the Roman soldier, these men, they were designed for battle and defeat was not an answer. They could lose their life. They would put these shoes on and they would be wrapped around and around with leather straps and there's hobnails on the bottom of these shoes, kind of like golf cleats, but probably more. And when they put their foot down for battle, there's a firm foundation under them. They're not able to be moved easily. The peace, Paul is saying, the shoes of peace to shod your feet with the gospel of peace. This is your tranquility. Zadrian Rogers, I love him, would say, this is your tranquility. If you're going to claim your victory, if we're going to fight in this battle, and we're going to stay on the winning side because it's already been won, there cannot be unrest in our life. We have to have tranquility. And you know, that comes from our purity and our righteousness with God. It's the foundation to stand firm. Can't stand on an earthquake. A solid rock. What does scripture tell us? What does Jesus say? I am the solid rock. Psalms talks about the mighty fortress, the solid rock. We must stand firm. We must put on these shoes. Now it says there, having shod your feet with the preparation, we must receive this peace. You see, there's chaos. That's how Satan works. All around us is chaos. Romans chapter 5. Let me read to you. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Leave that on there real quick. Would y'all read that with me? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. You're not going to have any tranquility in your life if you don't have peace with God. And you're not going to have peace with God unless you've surrendered your life with him. And even if you've turned your life over to him, if you're not living in integrity... If you're not living with that purity, then you're going to have an unrest. But because of God, we have tranquility through Jesus Christ. We have tranquility, number one, with God. That's the first thing we have to have, amen? Because if we don't have tranquility with God, we can't have tranquility with anybody else. But secondly, we need tranquility with man. We need tranquility within. Have you ever lived a life where you were just in turmoil? You know, the problem with that is your mind is focusing on all the turmoil. It gets you down. It gets you weak. It makes you sick. It gives you ulcers. And we could go down the list, and you're not focusing. And when you're down and you're weak, Satan's right there. And he's ready to pounce on you like a lion. But we put on these shoes of peace. But not only is it that we're putting on the shoes of peace, we're not just receiving the peace, we must share the peace with others. Let me read to you Romans 10, 15. 
How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. We are to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace so that we can have tranquility in our life with God and with man. And then we're to take that gospel of peace and we're to give it to others. We're to go and we're to share it. I know I said this last week. I'm so excited for those of you. And if you've not been with on Wednesday night, I encourage you to come as we're looking at sharing Jesus like it matters on Wednesday night. You're not too late. We're going all the way through about October with this. But we must share that. Let's look to, turn with me one more time to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, here it is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation so that we are ambassadors for Christ as God is pleading through us We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's the message right there. God reconciled us in Jesus. So remember, we're putting on Jesus. We're putting on the truth. We're putting on the purity. We're putting on the peace each morning so that we may fight this battle. But let me show you the fourth one, the shield of faith. Take a look there at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. It says, in addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith. What is the shield of faith? It is your certainty we are to put on jesus is a certain thing church he is a fact he is it in the roman day this shield would have been a a large shield probably like we would see almost the size of a door it was a shield for total protection and let me tell you what was unique about this shield these shields were designed and created to link together with another soldier's shield and they could make a wall and that Roman army covered from head to toe linked together could push and move the battle line and push the enemy back. That's what they're having in mind. It's not some little flimsy Captain America round shield. My son loves Captain America. But a big, it was like a door. And we're to pick this up. Why does that tell us? Why the understanding that those were made to link together? You know what we were as Christians made to do? We're made to work together. That's why the Bible tells us don't forsake the assembling together. We're to link together and to work together in this victory and helping each one. We must work it with other believers. They would take it and they would soak it in water. It would be covered in leather. Why would they take it and soak it in water? The enemies, they would shoot these flaming arrows 
oftentimes they would take these arrow tips and dip them in what we would call tar or pitch. And they would light it up and it would begin, can you imagine, to bubble and melt and they would shoot that. And if that was to come at you, if the spear or the arrow alone didn't hit you, it, hit, it would splatter and burn all over you. They would shoot them into villages and burn down villages. Well, if I've got a leather-soaked big shield, here comes that arrow and it hits that shield. And that water just suffocates it. It puts it right out. So we want this shield I think of this, it's not necessarily scriptural in this part. I believe it adds up to it. As believers, we're what? Baptized. We're soaked into the water. We're to pick up when we come out this shield of faith and link arms together because the darts and the arrows, some type of a, a missile the enemy would be shooting, they would launch it. Let me tell you what. Our adversary, the devil, he's launching missiles Every single day at each and every one of you and at me. He launches at attacks. He goes before the Heavenly Father and he's accusing us. He sends to us lies. Lies. We can quench those out. We must have this shield of faith. He sends thoughts at us. Thoughts that are not right. Thoughts that go against our integrity and our purity, the truth. You see how that belt of truth is building everything on that? We must understand that. This shield of faith is also talking about trust. The certainty of this is trust. We must trust in God. It is not a blind faith. God says there's nothing blind about it. He gives it to us right here. That's why we must daily, church, I can never emphasize enough, daily be reading into God's word, spending time with him. We need to trust. We need to have faith. We need to be certain in the promises of God. Why is that? Let's take the, the first one I want to throw here at you just real quick. How many of you believe because God said it that when you die as a believer, you're going to heaven. Amen. Are you certain? There you go. Satan might tell you, maybe you missed it just a little bit. No, you've got to be certain. You've got to have that shield of faith up. You've got to be certain that what God said he'll do, he'll do. This whole book covers thousands of years. And everything he said from Genesis up until the birth of Christ, it's all happened. Everything just like he said about the birth of Christ down to the very penny. I've used this analogy before. I wish I would have looked it up again. The likelihood of most of what happened to Christ and his birth being predicted to happen would be like if we took the state of Texas. Kenneth, there we go. Amen. State of Texas, the biggest state out there. And if we were to cover it, in quarters, I think it was a mile deep, the whole state of Texas dropped a 50-cent piece in there and stirred it all up. And you had one chance to pick it out that you would pick that 50-cent piece the first time. Unlikely. But guess what, Amy? My God's not a likely kind of God. He's a I know so. He is a certain kind of God. What he promises 
He promises that what? Lo, I am with you. I am with the meek and the downhearted. We've got to believe that. You've got to be certain because Satan will try everything he can. Adam and Eve heard God speak to them. Don't eat of the one tree for you will surely die. They heard God speak. They're walking with God. And when Satan comes along, they just wasn't quite certain. So we need to be certain of God's promises. But not just that. We need to be certain and trust in the power of God. Is God powerful enough to get you out of any situation? Come on, I want to hear you this morning. Is God powerful enough to get you out of any situation? God is not going to let you get anywhere he can't get you out of. Nothing can happen to you that doesn't go through him first. He's that power. He don't even have to come get you. He allows it. Then he knows right where you are. Remember I said it was large like a door. Let me read to you from John 10, verses 7 through 10. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This door is our salvation. We receive Christ through faith. Amen. We don't have to earn it. I'm so glad. But through faith, it is our salvation. John 10, 9, I just read part of it. It says, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go on in and out and find pasture. Amen. Praise the Lord. He is the door. We come through him for salvation. We can come and go and we're going to find pastor. But it's not only that, he's also our security as the door. John 10, 27, 28 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. He is our security. He is the door. When we get up in the morning and we're putting on our armor of God, we need to take up the shield of faith. You need to be certain so that there's no doubt in your life. Because when doubt comes in, then Satan's got an open door. And let me tell you, all he needs is a little crack. Just like a big old dam, one little bitty crack and the whole thing's going to bust open. Fifth this morning, the helmet of salvation. Take a look there at Ephesians 6. Uh, and 17, also receive the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're going to get the sword of the Spirit next week. But we are to receive the helmet of salvation. What's the helmet? Put it on their heads. You know, I was reading this and studying this again and, and finding out new things. This helmet would have been huge. It would have covered all of the head. It would have had some metal pieces in front of the face. And this shield, this helmet would have weighed a lot. It would have had some form of felt or rubber in there to help on the way to that. And it said nothing could penetrate that Roman soldier helmet outside an axe or a hammer. That's sturdy, church. So when those arrows are coming, when you're in the attack and the fists are going and blowing, you can stand firm having the 
helmet of salvation. And this helmet of salvation, it is your sanity. This is important. It is your sanity. You must be in the right mind. How do we get in the right mind? But it's a helmet of salvation. The moment we come to Christ and we are saved, Christ makes us a new creation. He washes our mind. He regenerates us and makes us into something new. Our mind has been changed. Ephesians 4.21 says, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, Jesus changes our mind. We're to pick up and put on this helmet of salvation. We must protect this right up here. I go into my time of mornings when I am dressing in this armor and I begin to talk about my mind, but you know there's more up here than your mind. God, would you protect my eyes? Oh, little eyes, what you see, what I look at, what I watch on TV, what I look at as I go around this world, what goes in these two eyes does a whole lot to the rest of this body. Oh, God, would you protect my ears? That helmet's coming down over. What am I listening to? Who am I letting feed me through knowledge? Protect my mouth. I don't know that this helmet of salvation might have had a, some of them's got those metal pieces. Protect my, what am I saying, God? Because you see what I look at, what I listen to, and what I say changes the moment I become a believer. We're to pick up this helmet of salvation and put it on. We have a changed mind. We should grow in our mind. Let's look real quick at 2 Peter 3.18. 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. We should be growing. The moment we become believers, guess what? One thing for sure happens. We're changed, we're bought, we're sealed, and we're delivered in the hand of God instantly. And the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us with the power of God. What does not happen instantly at the moment of salvation is your growth. When you come to the knowledge of the saving faith of Jesus Christ, you don't get all the knowledge in the world right away. We must grow in this. We must daily be growing and letting God change us and encourage us and to, to build us up. You see, that's claiming your victory. We're to put these on. Let me go back through them just real quick. Make sure you have them down. The belt of truth, you have to put on your integrity. The breastplate of righteousness, put on your purity. The shoes of peace, your tranquility. The shield of faith, your certainty. The helmet of salvation, your sanity. You must put that on. That is your responsibility. We have to do this. God provides it. God gives it to us. Now I want you to notice here, not all of the armor is for protection. What have we done? We've covered our head. We've put on the, what, breastplate of righteousness. It covers the heart. It covers this area. We have the belt of truth that's covering this area. We're doing our feet. Well, pastor, what about the backside? Nothing 
in the armor of God is for the backside. Nothing was to protect the soldiers. Why is that? Because the soldiers should not be retreating. And as a born-again Christian, as a believer in God, we have no reason whatsoever to retreat. You are a weak Christian if you're retreating. But there's still a place for you because God will come and get you. And he'll turn you around and he'll bring you back up. But you know, if we as believers are doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're linking our doors, we're linking our shields of faith with other believers. That means my brother, when he gets weak, he's linked to mine. Buddy, he can't get away. What's that the lady said or the man said, if my wife leaves me, I'm going to pack my bag and go with her. We're to work together. But there's no need for retreat because it's already been there. And a retreating soldier leaves a weak link. If we're to turn and we're not advancing toward God and advancing where he tells us and we're retreating, it's an open door for the enemy. The victory's already been won, but you're going to live in defeat. Where are you today? You see, this armor, this all wonderful stuff that God has been filling me full of and I hope for you and these things that we know, it's only available to those who believe him. To those who come to him in faith, certainty, repent of their sins. Say, God, I know I'm a good person, but I'm never good enough. There's no one good enough. That's why it's his love. All of this is in Jesus. Remember we said we're putting on Jesus? I think Adrian Rogers once said he gets up in the morning and he says, do I have my Jesus on? We got to get dressed, church. Because I promise you, the battle's there. And maybe even before you get out of bed, the first arrow's already been shot. So we need to daily put on the armor of God. We need to be ready for our attire for the day. None of us go out of the house in our birthday suits, okay? If you do, sheriff's office is going to pick you up. We shouldn't, we should not get up and go without our proper attire on. For the day, our clothing, but our battle, the armor of God that he provides in him. So are you in him? Without him, you're running naked. You're running with no help. So I encourage you in just a moment when I pray, we're going to open these altars up. No one's holding you back. If you're not in him, be the first one down here to let me share with you. But you know, I, I know often because I, I had to do some searching myself and some looking, hear a message like this. You might go, wow, pastor, that was a powerful message. But you know, I just ain't been doing it right. Used to. But the battles kind of got me. And I've stepped a little bit back. Well, praise the Lord. The same God that saved you is the God that will heal you today. Today's the day. Come back. Get up on that battle line. Come down. Let me pray with you. Let me encourage you. See, this is our response. What has God been saying? He's telling us what to do, but what are we to do? What are you to do right now in light of hearing God's word? Would you bow your heads? Father God, we are so thankful. Father, I praise you this morning 
that, Lord, you tell us how to step into this battle and to be ready to claim the victory that you've won. Father, you know the condition of souls in this room, not me, no one else, just you and each individual person. And Father, I know for a fact that outside the doors of these churches, the enemy's waiting. They've been sharpening their swords and their arrows and they're dipping them in that tar and they're lighting them up. Father, they're just waiting for us to step out these doors so that we may be attacked. Father, I beg of you. Father, I plead if there's anyone here that, Father, that is not, is not in you, is not in your Son through salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ and no other way. That, Father, today would be the day because, Father, if they step out of these doors without you, they're helpless and they're hopeless. And, Father, there may not be another opportunity. Father, I also pray for those today, Lord, that agree with everything that I've said. But, Father, Satan's fighting on them right now. And he's saying, you just hadn't been matching up. You just hadn't been matching up. Father, would they just come running to you today? Father, would their hearts flood, Lord? Would they just run to you and say, I'm sorry, Lord, and you'll just wrap them in your arms? Father, may they commit to that today. Lord, would you lead and would you guide this time? I'm just going to ask you to stand right where you are. Every head bow.